Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Carolina, Hari Priya, and Krishna Kumari, and Nam Rasan and Krishna Karnam. Nice to have you guys here. Very uh, nice to share this, let's say, 45 minutes with you all. And um, so last time I was talking about the fourth chapter, or uh, speaking on the fourth, fourth chapter of Jaiva Dharma. And uh, the chapter was called Vaishnava um, Dharma is Nitya Dharma. And uh, I got a little carried away. There's so much juicy stuff there. So uh, I didn't quite make it to the end. And uh, I figured I'm just going to give you a very brief summary of what, what we discussed in the previous chapter. And then I will finish this chapter up and it will like naturally flow on to the fifth chapter, which is the, the main, uh, main uh, course of this, this feast here. So in the fourth chapter, um, Lahiri Mahashai had all these doubts about uh, like the Nitya Dharma, like how is, well, actually that was the, in the third chapter, I'm sorry. So in this chapter, Lahiri Mahashai starts having some faith in the Vaishnav Dharma, but he can't quite understand how it is that the Nitya Dharma and the Vaishnav Dharma are actually um, identical. And so then um, uh, Vaishnava Das Babaji uh, has this elaborate explanation of, first of all, he, he says that Vaishnava Dharma, you can say there's like Shuddha Vaishnava Dharma and Vidha Vaishnava Dharma, or the pure and the impure forms of it. And then he breaks both of them down to these different components or different aspects of those things. And then when he talks about Shuddha Dharma, he says that Mahaprabhu, uh, mentioned these three different principles within all that you can basically break down Shuddha Dharma or Shuddha Vaishnava Dharma to excuse me uh, um, Sambandha, Abhideya and Prayojan so the the you know, philosophical framework the uh, means to attain the spiritual goal and then the spiritual goal of Prem Bhakti itself and when Vaishnava started talking about Abhideya, so he, he mentioned the nine limbed, like the Navalakshan Bhakti of, you know, hearing, chanting, and so on, remembering, so on. And in that context, he said that there's actually two divisions within Sadhana Bhakti. He was talking about Sadhana Bhakti, but he said these nine limbs of Bhakti are Vaidhi Bhakti. But there's two divisions, and it's, of course, Vaidhi Bhakti and Raganuga Bhakti. And um, then he went on to explain that Vaidhi Bhakti, of course, as we all know, I'm sure, means that you follow the injunctions of the scripture and the rules of the scripture to uh, reach your, uh, your goal of Prem or Priti. And that Raganuga means that you have spontaneous ruchi or taste for, for the practices and for, for Krishna. And that you don't follow the scriptures, but you exclusively follow the mood of, of some of the uh, uh, Nitya Siddha Brachabhasis or the eternal uh, residents of Vrindavan whose mood you identify with. And I think it's very important to understand in, at this point, if you're not familiar with this idea already, that when the Gaudias talk about Vaidhi Bhakti, there's really kind of two ways they talk about it. Uh, like when Bhaktivinoda here talks about Vaidhi Bhakti, he's not talking about Vaidhi Bhakti as the, the 
final goal. Like when, if you have the, the desire to have the ultimate goal of being a servant of Vishnu in Vaikuntha, basically serving God in this um, awe and reverence mood, that is called Vaidivakti. But when in the context of you having a Raganuga ideal, when you want to serve Raja Krishna, uh, but you're not pure, that is also called Vaidhi Bhakti. And it's kind of unfortunate that there's two terms that really, they don't quite match. They only match on the level of, of practice in that specific state. When you're either Vaidhi Bhakta doing Vaidhi Bhakti or you're Raganuga Sadhaka or like a... You ideal, idealize Raganuga Sadhana, but you are not pure. You also do Vaidhi Bhakti, but with the different view of what you want to attain. And I think because of this confusion, um, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur came up with two different terms for these uh, within the Raganuga Sadhana side. So what, what uh, Bhaktivinoda here calls Vaidhi Bhakti in the context of Raganuga ideal um, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur calls achata, achata ruchi raganuga sadhana, which means tasteless raganuga sadhana, <laughs> which of course, as we know, is like a total oxymoron because raganuga sadhana is based on taste. So achata ruchi, ruchi raganuga sadhana just means that you don't have spontaneous taste for Krishna, or you might have like a tiny inkling of it. But that's what you wanna. That's what you wanna reach. That's your ideal. And so we, most of us, you know, 99% probably of the sadhakas in the world are ajatta ruchi raganuga. In, in the Gaudiya circle, we we don't have significant taste, but we very much desire to have that kind of raganuga connection with Krishna. And the, the ideal of braj is is what we really want. And um, let me pull my notes here. And then after Vaishnavdas had explained the difference between Vaidhi Bhakti and Raghunuga Bhakti, then because Vaishnavdas was talking about these two different things as a, a level of eligibility, like you either have eligibility for Vaidhi Bhakti or Raghunuga Bhakti based on whether you're pure or not. Uh, then Lahiri, of course, you know, since he's a, becoming like a very intense, serious sadhaka, he immediately asked Vaishnavdas, well, how is Adhikar determined? Like, how do you tell what your Adhikar is? And then Vaishnavdas said that you basically, the guru will see whether you're like still dependent on the rules because your natural tendency is to swerve away from the path or whether you have uh, like natural spontaneous taste that will carry you in the right direction. So basically, Babaji said, Vaishnavas Babaji said, well, the guru can tell you what your adhikar is. And then Lahiri, he wasn't quite, you know, I mean, he was satisfied, but he wanted to understand it better. So he asked that, but how do you recognize the adhikar? Like, how is it recognized? And basically, I very much liked Vaishnavdas' uh, response. He said that, excuse me, <clears throat> he said that you can, um, it's by desire, like that you have to, the guru will like examine the 
devotees or the sadhakas desire and the way they behave which is like a external manifestation of of people's kind of like the what would you call it um this conglomeration of their desires is how they behave and then if you feel like you very much relate to this idea of worshiping um according to the injunctions of the script scripture if you have this like um natural faith in the instructions of the scripture and you really feel like strictly following them you will uh, attain your goal then that's you're still at the level of vaidhi bhakti uh, but you're moving towards the raganuga side and then if if you have this like spontaneous taste for hari bhajan or the different aspects of of uh worshiping or thinking about krishna like chanting or whatever it is deity worship cooking for the sri vigraha if you have a spontaneous taste for that and you actually don't want scripture to kind of interfere with your natural flow of affection like uh there's these really cool stories about all these babajis doing some crazy things with their deities for example the one that comes to my mind always is i think it was vamsidas babaji somebody had stolen pots from his little hut by the river and he got so mad at his takurjis i think he had i forget if it was krishna balaram he had small deities he got so mad at the deities that he broke them up and threw them in the cold river and just <laughs> held on to the rope and somebody asked him what he's doing is that you know you know if they don't want if they want to take the pots then fine you know i'm just gonna throw them in the river and you know have him you know live there or something like that and so that's like obviously he did not want the scriptural injunctions of this awe and reverence to come between him and his deities because he had this natural flow of reciprocal uh ruchi between him and the deities and then once uh Vaishnav das explains this to lahiri mahashai then lahiri mahashai asks the question which you know any, any sadhaka should ask and a question is very very important for all of us is like what is my adhikar that's what lahiri is asking and um then babaji says gives a very nice answer he says you will know it by examining your heart just like look in your heart and be honest with yourself and you will definitely know where you are at and this reminds me of something that i saw a few months back i was watching one of namras's uh podcasts and the guest was um shamarani or jadurani didi and i forget what the context was but but uh, shamarani basically said like i mean you know out of her humility but she said i i know exactly where i'm at because all all i have to do is to sit down and chant and observe my mind where does my mind go when i'm chanting and that it's it's so practical i mean such a like a simple way of determining your are car anybody can try this at home you know tonight or whenever you chant next follow your mind and see where it goes and your mind will tell you what your adhikar is because if you are an actual chataruchi raganuga devotee your mind that like whenever you have that idle moment when the mind normally drifts naturally to whatever we are preoccupied with the raganuga devotee will automatically go to krishna 
and we will automatically go to all the, <laughs> the rest of it. And um, so that's, that's how easy it is really to determine our other car. And um, then Vaishnav uh, Babaji asked, asked uh, Lahiri Mahashai further, like, do you feel like it's a good idea to follow the injunctions of the Shastra in conjunction with your bhajan? And says, yes, I definitely feel like that, Lahiri said. But he also said, but nowadays I've, I've come to realize that, that Hari Bhajan is an ocean of rasa. So because Lahiri Mahashai, he used to be a kind of like a musician. He, he had been trained by some uh, Delhi musicians, uh, very high class, since he was from a high class Brahman family, they trained him to be like an expert singer. And so when he took part in the kirtans, when he started coming to Godrum and hanging out with the Babajis in the woods, he would always push himself forward as the lead singer. And then he would, uh, there's a funny explanation or description in the Jaiva Dharma. He would like make, do these fancy, you know, flourishes with his kirtan. And then he would like expectantly, like look and have these sidelong glances of the other people and see if they're like appreciating his style. And Pratishta coming out, excuse me. And, uh, So then now he's saying what Lahiri is saying that is that I've come to realize that actually Hari, Bhaj Hari Bhajan or like Nam Sankirtan is an ocean of rasa. So, so he's instead of like doing it on the external, on the, on the external plane, doing it for some kind of secondary result of getting appreciation or prestige or something, he's starting to realize oh, there's like this whole world inside of this name. That I'm starting to feel. And then Babaji, uh, Vaishnav Das Babaji, after hearing that, he says, Well, it's clear that you're eligible for Vaidhi Bhakti, but in due course of time, Raga will awaken in your heart because you've started to understand that there's like this ocean of spiritual emotions within that Sankirtan. And so it's starting to, there's like this budding, it's starting to open up for him. And then Lahiri Mahasaya says um, to, he asks basically his guru, like, well, what kind of bhajan should I perform? He says, like, I don't want to do anything that I don't, I'm not eligible for. So please tell me, like, what kind of bhajan should I perform? And then, then Vaishnavadas Babaji says empathetically, em emphatically that, that you should do Harinam and Nam, you should not, not do Nam bhajan. And because all the other processes that he had talked about earlier, the, the Navalakshan Bhakti, the nine limbs of Sadhana Bhakti, he says all of that is actually included in the name. Like when you chant, you're remembering your, you know, Sravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, all those aspects actually happen in the context of chanting. Even worshiping the deity you do it in your mind you you like dedicate your whole soul to your lord when you chant you become his friend his servant everything is in the chanting so i said by far chanting is the best and the most powerful means of bhajan and uh he also points out that the name is not different from krishna so you don't lose out on anything by by focusing on non-bhajan which is of course the main main form of practice for Gaudiya Vaishnavas. And while he says that, there's this beautiful scene where Babaji 
tells Lahiri Mahashai to chant the Maha Mantra. He says the whole mantra to Lahiri Mahashai. And while he does that, he hands him a Japa Mala. So basically that's like this spontaneous form of initiation. Like that's when Lahiri formally becomes the student of Vaishnav Das. And uh, Vaishnav Das, I mean, Lahiri Mahashai is so overwhelmed with ecstasy and happiness that he actually passes out. He faints and he, he stays unconscious for a long time. And when he falls over, Vaishnav Das carefully captures, captures him before he hits the ground. And when I read this part, I was kind of remembering back, one, some of you might remember, I was talking about in the first class how I have one friend who couldn't read the Jaiva Dharma because she felt like it was so over the top, like they're rolling on the ground and like tears sprouting, like spraying from their eyes all the time. And it just like felt so over the top, kind of like purple prose, if you know that term, it's like kind of like Harlequin no novels where it's like everything's just like exaggerated or something. But so this is what I thought. Why would it not be possible for people who are very spiritually advanced and come to extremely powerful association to have these kind of um, uh, symptoms? Because I, I started thinking about like all those women, all the girls really, in the 50s and 60s, they went to see like Elvis, for example, Elvis Presley, and they would faint, like they would actually faint in the in front row, like hundreds of women or girls would faint, the same thing with the Beatles. And that's for like what, you know? Like there's some dude in like leather pants and he's stuck a little piece of, you know, garden hose in his pant to like, you know, kind of augment his natural, you know, what would you call them, natural characteristics. And then the women, the girls in the front row, that's like passing out left and right for, for basically for this like tiny spark of the actual Ras or the, the um, attractiveness that is Krishna. Like Krishna is that whatever affected those girls that powerfully it's like a tiny little like speck of what Krishna is constituted of. So when a devotee starts actually coming in contact with the Svarup Shakti and not just the mental image of Krishna that we can conjure in our conditioned minds, because that's what most of our devotion is as it is right now. When it starts, the, the real Svarup Shakti starts coming from the other side. I mean, can you imagine how powerful that force is? If Elvis can make women faint, so <laughs> why not, you know, the Svarup Shakti? And once Lahiri Mahashai then wakes up from his um, slumber, stuber, stupor, whatever you would call it, his unconsciousness, he's like a new man. He, he just cries and cries and says i i've never felt this kind of happiness in my life this is just like this on a totally new le level of happiness that i've ever uh experienced and you might recall that he found no satisfaction in his life um earlier on and that's why he started hanging out with the babajis because he he was a very highly esteemed brahmana and he had a very high position in the government and all this. He was a landowner and everything, but he found like absolutely no, no happiness in it. 
and now he's finally come to the like source of happiness and he's just like tearing apart at the seams out of joy and so basically what happened was this he changed completely because the spiritual experience cleared out his upadis or like basically cleaned out his chitta completely because whatever we're interested in in this world are just these impressions in our chitta or in our awareness chitta there's no not a good word for that in in english but basically all this the vasanas and the samskars that we've created the impressions from uh, unlimited billions of lifetimes are like kind of crystallized into these like black you know cold diamonds in our mind and uh what happened to Lahiri Mahashaya was basically he had the Prem Suri Amsu, like the, the Amsa of Prem, like a little inkling of Bhava, basically. And it just cleaned out his Upadis. And he completely changed because those samskars were gone. And so then from then on, he started chanting like two lakhs of Harinam a day. You know, he never wanted to lead the kirtan or like show off at all there's like zero pratishta left he is basically was a completely changed man and um one thing i still wanted to discuss in this connection was that when we were i was talking about like how important it is for us to understand what our adhikar is so that we can practice properly and be situated right. Um, I think it's good to understand that, like we might think that, okay, there's Vaidhi Bhakti, but we're not so attracted to Vaidhi Bhakti. Actually, we have more attraction to this idea of spontaneous love for Krishna. But we have to be careful not to think that that, disregard or disinterest in the following the scripture strictly is that we shouldn't like immediately assume that that is coming from spiritual advancement it's more likely that where we are at a lot of us in the west at least where we are at is that we don't even have taste for body bhakti <laughs> but it's, so it's easy to kind of like try to short circuit the system and say since we we don't really have this intense desire to even follow the scriptures we just say oh actually i want to have spontaneous love so who cares about the scriptures let's just jump over to raganuga and there's so much of this cheating tendency unfortunately going on with not only westerners but this was like specifically the problem that Bhaktivinoda Thakur and especially um, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasati Thakur reacted to. So really we have to go through that sort of taming process of, of taming our minds with the scriptures. Like my Guru Maharaj always talks about like a caged beast, you know, like the Vaidhi is the cage and it seems very restrictive in some ways. But there's a reason for that restriction, because if you open the cage, that tiger of our desires is going to, you know, maul and eat up everybody around him or her. And it's obviously not good for us if we do that. So, so you know, we, we have to understand our adhikar and, and behave accordingly and have the humility to admit that, you know, we don't, we have lobha, we have greed, but for the wrong things. And the whole... Um, 
qualification for Raghunuga Bhakti is Lobha. And, and so let's be honest about what our Lobha is about and then you know, engage ourselves accordingly. Another point I really want to make in this context is let's not also go in the other extreme when we try to determine our adhikar, you know. So, so one extreme is sahajism, basically. You, you, you imagine yourself to the lila because you have lobha for material desire, you have lobha for being the center, and you think that you can actually kind of cheat the system by acting like you're interested in Krishna's desires and Krishna, but actually you're interested in your own desires. That's one extreme. The other extreme is that, okay, my car is this and this, so I'll just basically like make a nest in that one sequence of my car that's supposed to be progressive and go forward and then just feel comfortable in whatever position I am in life. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being comfortable in life as long as your devotion is uh, progressive. I guess to make it clear what I'm talking about is you could say there's like two different types of um, balance because this Guru Mahesh talks about balance a lot. And I, some devotees take the idea maybe sometimes a little in the wrong way of balance, meaning only that you're psychologically balanced and then that makes you a good devotee automatically. That is not actually true. So there's two types of balance. There's, you could say static balance and then there's, dynamic balance and what i mean with that is like if you think about a person who's standing up right if they are in one place and they're standing up that's balance right because they're not falling over they're totally straight but that's static balance because your balance means that you can't move because then you're out of whack so static balance means you're in one place but you're balanced and that's okay so anyway that's the first type and then the dynamic balance basically means when, so for example, when first you're standing, but then you stay, take a step forward. And that step in itself, you actually go out of balance because you have to lean forward to go, for, to go forward, right? And so the, the dynamic type of balance is based on the fact that you're constantly adjusting your balance. So like, like you can't lean forward too much because you're going to fall on your face. But you also can't lean back too much because then it's static again. Like when you come back from the forward leaning position to the straight position, it's back to the static idea. So like the dynamic idea of balance is that you're constantly adjusting the, the amount of, of lean that you have and which means if you don't want to fall on your face, you have to take another step and then another step and another step while you're balanced in a kind of like a diagonal position, right? <laughs> I guess you could say. So sadhana bhakti is always a, a dynamic form of balance. It's, I mean, yeah, if, if you want to do real sadhana, that's what it is. And you have to avoid the pitfall of thinking that you're in the static balance of just feeling good about yourself and your life, but you're not trying to go forward in your sadhana on any level. You're not sacrificing so that, it feel, that you feel a sacrifice. It, that is not, that's not progressive sadhaka life. So I just wanted to make that point that we have to be aware of the fact that there's two types of balance and that we the, the static balance is actually can be detrimental to to your sadhaka life
and again you know it's you also have to remember i mean it's an obvious point but i think it's good to just remind ourselves of these points that either extreme is bad and so there's balance within the the static balance no there's balance within the dynamic balance and there's imbalance within the dynamic balance so that's why it's a constant reconfiguration or, or reassessment of whether you're leaning forward or backward too much and um <laughs> so i haven't reached uh, chapter five yet because i don't know this seems to happen to me all the time and when i start talking about this stuff i can't get forward fast enough but i guess the thing is when the inspiration comes it's better to just talk about whatever is on my mind so i'm just gonna keep going and uh, it looks like we might have to do chapter five in the next session but another thing that comes to my mind about what i'm talking about right now with this the Adi Kar idea and whether we are eligible for Raganuga Bhakti or not. Um, the whole, like Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur's uh, approach or attitude towards this was that we worship the Raga Patha or the, the path of Raga Marga with, uh, with our desires. It, like he, uh, was able to open this huge marble temple gold called Bag Bazar, Bag Bazar in um, Calcutta. And during the procession, when they were bringing the deities from the from the old rented house to the new huge temple, he came up, I guess, spontaneously during the procession with this six-line uh, song. And the first line is very famous. I'm sure you've heard. Uh, and uh, Shila Shidamarj really talked about this line a lot. It goes, Matala Harijana Vishaya Range, Pujala Raga Pata Gorava Bange. And basically what it's saying is, Matala Harijana Vishaya Range means basically in the Harijana, the devotees of Krishna are intoxicated by Vishaya Range, by sense enjoyment. <laughs> And then Pujala Raga Patagora Bange. So they, they worship the Raga Marga or the path of Raganuga Bhakti with reverence, Gorava, reverence. But Bange, I, as far as I understand, can also mean that you actually break the reverence by worshiping the, Gor, the, the Raga Marga. So anyway, the idea with the first line, which is kind of like, huh? Like, you know, you're the Hari devo devotees of Hari are intoxicated with sense enjoyment. What he meant with that is that whatever desires you have in your heart, you just like th throw that, as Shirashidamar said, in the fire of sacrifice to Krishna. And so like the marble temple, for example, of course, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur had no, no material desires in his heart, of course, but he used that for other people who are not pure to pull them in through their material attraction, whatever they're attracted to materially, opulence, riches, you know, all these things, and, and throw that at Krishna in, in your worship, reverent worship of the Raga Marga. It's a beautiful idea. Like, basically, it's like, don't think too much of yourself. Just... Uh, worship the path and put the path of raga marga on your head and like honor that instead of thinking that you are there yourself 
And uh, in this context, there's a funny story I just heard recently. Um, somebody asked, a disciple of Srila Narayan Maharaj asked him, Srila Gurudev, how could I uh, do bhajan in this life like Raghunath does, Goswami? <laughs> and Srila Narayan Maharaj answered, you're lucky to even know the name of Srila Raghunath das Goswami in this life. So, you know, be satisfied with that. But, you know, go forward um, gradually, you know. And, of course, at the same time, it's very important to know what we're trying to reach. Like, at the same time, I did hear that Srila Narayamarsh said that, that you have to kind of begin with the end in mind. That you have to know what you're desiring. Otherwise, you're... But bhajan or your, your practice is not not focused, and that's why Guru Maharaj is teaching. Our Guru Maharaj is teaching all these rasa tattva and and this like more kind of refined or detailed sambanda because that refines our understanding of where we want to go, which is absolutely essential for having focused sadhana and focused bhajan. And one of Guru Maharaj's disciples many years ago, he was a little frustrated. He was like, "Why do we have to know all this?" Ras Tattva, like it, this is not at all like uh, pertinent to us. And so that seemed like he was, you know, in touch with his Adhikar. But the thing is, if the guru talks about that stuff to you, you know, they've assessed what you need to hear, basically. So it might feel like cumbersome for us to be like, oh, what is this Vibhav, Anubhav, Sanchari Bhav, this Bhav, that Bhav? Like, what's the point of that? But the thing is, even if it feels the theoretical, which it is for us, because we don't have significant taste, even if it feels theoretical and kind of cumbersome, it's kind of like going to school in a bad sense, you know, bad sense of the term. It still creates these samskars in our hearts that will come to our aid later on. You know, it all these things that we learn, although if, even if they feel like, my God, I've heard this like a million times, or this is too high for me. If it comes from the guru, a real Satguru, who understands where his disciples or her disciples are at, it's, it's beneficial for us. I mean, we don't have to fake like we're super interested in something if that's not where we're at. But if he or she feels like this is important, then it probably is, you know, it's a safe bet to at least somehow try to, you know, familiarize yourself with these ideas and, and just, you know, have that, you know, it's a form of austerity if you're not super interested in it, you know, try to still learn it and then you will create these samskars for your future that will be extremely beneficial. Yeah. Um, and this kind of relates to something that Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur has said and basically you know because then you can also have this idea of well Raganuga Bhakti like we don't really need the scriptures we'll just kind of go with our emotions that's obviously <laughs> you look at our Gaudiya Vaishnav lineage and especially our Bhaktivinoda Parivar there's a heavy heavy emphasis emphasis on the Siddhanta, but the, the whole point of it is not just to learn something or 
like Lahiri Mahashaya asked in the previous chapter, like, do I have to become a scholar to, to have Bhav, you know? And Vaishnava does was, of course not. Like that, it's not about that kind of learning. It's about kind of reorienting yourself in a way that your faith about what, what life is and what's important starts changing by, by the, the force of, of the Sambandha Gyan. So anyway, Vishnava Chakravarti Thakur says, I forget where, but in one of his books, that, uh, that we have to go through this intense phase of, of interest in the Ragamarga scriptures uh, or the Gaudiya scriptures. And it'll like naturally arise when you uh, have more Sukriti. You will become intensely interested in the scriptures. And he gives this really nice example example of what it's like. It's, he says, Vishwanath says that it's like a person who's really loves like dairy, like, like milk products. That person will naturally want to know everything about cows and everything that's connected to the production of milk, although it doesn't seem like it's directly milk itself. So in the same, like, like, you just so you have that lobha for you know burfi for example and no okay in this instance we can't assume that you can just go to whole foods and buy milk and make burfi for yourself so then you have to find out everything about cows what kind of grasses give the best kind of milk all these fine fine details but all the, the, there's absolutely no other desire in knowing all that stuff than how to produce milk so so we will come to a point where we have this like insatiable desire for studying the scriptures uh, because the scriptures talk about the, the goal that we all of a sudden have this burning desire for. It's like, no, I can't come up with any good example, but, but I'm sure you understand what I'm trying to say. And Another point that's made here in this chapter, and I'm going to conclude with this, is that Raghunuga Bhakti can actually only be received through Sadhu Sangha. Um, the, that kind of lobha for that kind of relationship with Krishna does not come from uh, following the scriptural injunctions alone. So it, the seed of, of Raghunuga Bhakti is always the heart or the the aura of a devotee who shows up in the world. Or, you know, in the case of Mahaprabhu, Bhagavan himself comes and, and spreads that certain kind of vibration that is not something we can access otherwise. And then normally the way it goes is we have that inkling, we get that sadhusanga over and over again in the form of, you know, that we're not even aware of it because we don't have enough Sukriti to, to consciously want that. And then once it comes to the level after lifetimes of unknown bhakti sukriti, is that we start chanting the Harinam, and then that brings more sadhu sangha, and then that sadhu sangha bring, then we get initiated, and then we get interested in the scriptures, and the sadhu sangha uh, nourishes that scriptural interest, and the scriptural in interest nourishes the sadhu sangha. It's this benevolent cycle, basically. And then from that continue, then it becomes like unbroken. And then finally, once we've been doing that like unbroken cycle of 
the the person Bhagavat and the scripture Bhagavat and and Hari Nam, then finally Ruchi awakens, and from from Ruchi on, then it starts going on its own wake because we actually have that a, a little uh, speck of that thing in our heart that is the essence of what Ragnuga Bhakti is all about. Uh, and the difference between Vaidhi Bhakti and Raganuga Bhakti is that you can basically get Vaidhi Bhakti without Sadhu Sangha, which is interesting. It doesn't happen like that often as far as I understand. But the thing is, you can get Vaidhi Bhakti from following Varnashram Dharma if the Varnashram system is centered around Vishnu Bhakti. So it's just you do your duty very uh, dutifully and then you come to the platform of Vaidhi Bhakti, but, but uh, Raganuga Bhakti does not come like that. And that's why Mahaprabhu was saying that Varnashram Dharma is external in the Ramananda Sambhat when he kept asking these questions to Ramananda Roy about what is the ultimate goal of human life. So because, and of course, Mahaprabhu was after Raganuga Bhakti in his questioning of Ramananda Sambhat. So of Ramananda Rai, so uh, he was not satisfied with anything that does not lead to the Raga, Ragatmika Vritti or the, the Raganuga uh, platform. So yeah, that's all I want to say. We're still in chapter four, but I don't really mind. I hope you guys don't mind either. And I hope it doesn't feel like I'm... <laughs> chewing the chewed here but that's all i had to say today and uh, if you have any questions or comments i'd love to hear them so shoot them my way haribol haribol Hey, thank you for the class. I have a question about Vaidhi Bhakti and Raganuga Bhakti. Um, it's often used this metaphor, like we are receiving the seed of love or seed of Bhakti, and then the Bhakti lava starts to grow and, uh, and uh, things like that. So would you say that the seed of Bhakti is the same for Raganuga Bhakti and Vaidhi Bhakti, or is it like a completely different thing from the very beginning? I think the way I understand it is that if you, you mean Vaidhi Bhakti, it's like you end up in Vaikuntha or Narayan. Yeah, yeah, I think it is a different thing. Like you basically, the way... Guru Maharaj has explained this as far as I've understood is that you get that seed from association and then then it's a certain type of association and you take on the the same um, mood as your association now it's still like uh, uh, kind of under question whether that association comes to you randomly or if it's a divine arrangement that it comes to you what you're supposed to get in the first place but anyway we'll leave that open because i don't have the answers for that but uh so but anyway the, it comes in a certain form and so the the vaidi bhakti bhakti lata beach does seem to be different like it's that is that you're destined to by kunta basically and then the raganuga bhakti lata beach is it's a it's for Braj Krishna. So that's, that's, I think, as far as I can go with that. But it's a very good question, though. Thank you for that.
Okay, anything else? Okay, if there's nothing else, uh, thanks again, everybody for coming and uh, we'll be back next Tuesday. We finally got better internet in now, Daria. So uh, we will be able to continue these classes from out area as well as Guru March's Sunday calls. So thanks again for coming and uh, hopefully see you to see you next week. Arrivo. Sriman Prabhu Ki Jai.